0: Today we're talking about dealing with divisions. You ever noticed how much people quarrel? We don't notice that living around Washington D.C., do we? The selfish nature of humanity is on display everywhere. You know, think about it. There are Ford guys and there are Chevy guys. And the Ford truck guys say that the Chevy truck guys are junk. And the Chevy truck guys say that the uh, you always find a Ford truck by the side of the road. And, and all that sort of thing. And and they are just, they're always quarreling about it. And they get into further and further minutiae about the Ford and the Chevy trucks. But the only thing that they can agree on is that people who own Dodge trucks are Gentiles. And... Uh, um, and really they 're two perfectly good trucks. You know same thing can be said for sports cars. There are people who like Corvettes and everyone else who should but um, we we argue about everything I, I love woodworking I, I love doing things, building furniture, and stuff and, and If you get on the bulletin boards where there 's woodworking being discussed you can you can get into the woods about chisels. Did you know that guys argue about what 's better a japanese style chisel? Or an American-style chisel. Uh, Which way to grind that chisel and sharpen it? Do you hollow grind it? Do you flat grind it with a bevel? What kind of stone do you use when you do sharpen it? Oil stone, water stone, diamond stone? And they argue and go round and round and round, smaller and smaller. I see some guys uh, smiling so they know what I'm talking about here. And we we argue about everything. We argue about basketball. Who's greater, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? I mean, we all know Michael Jordan is. But um we we argue about so many different things. Unfortunately, many of you have been in churches where quarreling has made its way into the fellowship, and sometimes even that fellowship was split. And it was a very hurtful thing. Tom Rayner, who's a, a researcher for the Southern Baptist um North American Mission Board, he uh in his book, he wrote a book called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And he lists as one of the symptoms of the church that's dying. One of the symptoms of this dying is that it becomes a preference-driven church. And he states this. He says a church cannot survive long-term where members are focused on their own preferences, my music style, my desired length and order of worship services, my desired color and design of buildings and rooms, my activities and programs, my need of ministers and staff, my, my, my. And that's, that's a lot of what was going on in Corinth. What is at the heart of quarreling, whether it's in the world, talking about people who are not saved, not believers, or in the church, what is at the heart of all that quarreling is one thing and it's self-centeredness think about it when there are two people bent on having their own way they will soon be quarreling and arguing because their concern their interests, and their priorities will sooner or later make it into a conflict i mean that's what the bible says james chapter four what causes quarrels and fights among you is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And so when you have two people who are fighting, you can legitimately look at both of them and say, both of you are being selfish right now. Now, I'm not going not gonna, to, um, well, I'll just say this. Sometimes it's more one person's fault than another. I'm not going to go as far as to say it's, it's a 50-50 split, but two people are quarreling and fighting. The Bible says it's because they want their way. What is the cause of quarrels and fights? It's selfish desire. Quarreling is a reality in churches because selfishness and sin is a reality in churches. Would you agree with that? It's all those other selfish people, right? You know how it works? I'm not selfish, but everybody else is. And this is the opposite of Christ likeness. total opposite. Jesus prayed for the church. Look at look at his prayer. He said, "I am this is in his high priestly prayer the night before he's crucified for the church. And it says, "I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world," talking about the church and the apostles. "And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be what?" They may be one, even as we, the Trinity, are one. So, Jesus' goal for his church is that we have a unity of fellowship and a oneness equivalent to the, that of the Trinity or like that of the Trinity. The church should be, when you walk in, it should be different. It should, you should feel the unity in the church and the love in the church. He went on to say, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Now, here's what he's saying here. He is saying that the love and care that we display for one another as a church should be a testament to the world that they are in Jesus Christ, and it should be uh, something that helps further the gospel. When people who do not know Christ are among a group of Christians from a fellowship. That fellowship should conduct itself in such a way that people long to have that kind of of unity, to not have to protect themselves and guard their opinions and 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 all these different things. Now, since selfishness and and love are mutually mutually exclusive, um, unity. And unity is so opposite of the world. Jesus said that unity and love will further that gospel uh, because it's so different. Now, I said last week in my introduction to 1 Corinthians that Paul, this is different than all his other letters. um, um, All his other letters, there's there's all this theology, usually about half. Romans a little bit more. Theology of salvation. And then he says, Therefore, it's almost all, you can almost bank on it. It's going to say for or therefore, and he's going to say, this is a doctrine, and this is how you're going to act, or this is how you should act. In In 1 Corinthians, though, rather, he is responding to their questions and concerns, and there are at least 11 topics in the letter to the Corinthians. And the very first one he deals with is uh, division and quarreling. That's the very first one. Now, here's a question. <clears throat> of all the serious things that he addressed, and if you've read First Corinthians, you know there's some really serious stuff in there. Why did he pick division and quarreling to be the first thing that he dealt with? The answer is that a unified church will bear great fruit of ministry. Unity is so important for the ministry. How does the church stay unified in the ministry? And how, how do we keep loving and, and, and have that unity? Well, that's what Paul unpacks in the next few verses. And I want to give you the first thing. The first thing he says is to make the gospel a priority. Look at verse number 10 again. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same way and in the same judgment. Paul appeals to them first of all by the name of Jesus Christ, doesn't he? That's 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 short for what does it what does it mean when he says by the name of Jesus Christ. You ever wondered that? I mean I, I don't I don't say I don't appeal to you by the name of Jared Edgecombe or, or I, I would appeal to you in the name of Happy Hash, because that didn't get stuff done around here. But uh um the name of Jesus Christ, when he says, "I appeal to you in the name of jesus christ he's he's saying it's it's all that Christ is it's it's shorthand for all of Christ in all his glory in 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 all his power and in, and in, in everything I'm appealing to you in who Jesus is. We are to teach that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the world, that he's compassionate, that he's merciful, that he's just and holy, that he's perfect. He's a perfect Savior. And our connection to Jesus Christ is the most precious connection that we have. And our connection to Christ is our basis of our connection to one another. He's the head, and we're the body, all connected to the head. So he is the basis for my connection for anybody that's a Redskins or Nationals fan. Packers fans, right? Uh, You know, I have a better connection that way. And I have a greater connection with them than I do all those blessed people who root for the Cowboys. I knew I wouldn't get much of a response from that, but I had to say it anyway. Um, By the way, last, I got to say this, I shouldn't, but uh, last year, the Cowboys beat the Packers. I didn't hear a word from anybody in Pound. Last Sunday, the Packers beat the Cowboys, and I was getting texts like crazy, but uh, they didn't learn anything while I was there. Look at what he says next. Look at the verse. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. Literally, the, the, the Greek rendering there is that you say the same thing. I appeal to you, brothers, that you say the same thing. You all say the same thing. And what would that same thing be? The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the attributes of God, the glories of the risen Savior. He's talking about the whole gospel, or we would call it maybe Bible doctrine. That you say the same thing doctrinally. He's he's talking about um, all the things that bind us together as believers in Jesus Christ. He's uh, that we agree doctrinally that um the, the core doctrines, whether it's the the sinfulness of man, the 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 perfectness of Scripture, and the uh, the the in the unmistakable beauty of Scripture, or whether it's talking about the deity of Jesus Christ. Or what do you take your pick? The substitutionary atonement, all of those core doctrines. This agreement that we can have with one another then works itself out in the way that we conduct ourselves, doesn't it? Right when we when we agree, there's there's a unity that comes along. He says that there be no divisions among you; that you all say the same thing, and that there's no divisions. That word is schismata, from which we get the word schisms. Um, one, one uh, cardinal doctrine that the Bible clearly teaches is that there is to be unity. And in matters that Scripture is not explicit, then there is room for difference of opinion. So what are some of the things that difference of opinion that we can have that doesn't affect our unity? Y'all are waiting for me to say, so then you get triggered and you can't think the rest of the time, right? Eschatology, doctrine of future things you know what you believe about that there's room for unity there believe it or not there's there's room for unity on how we conduct our personal standards what what we that's what Paul's going to be addressing meat offered to idols and all those other things what's the bible not explicit about music styles what's the bible not ex, uh, explicit about the way you dress i mean i mean i'm here in a coat and tie there's people here in shorts i it doesn't matter to me how you're dressed really it, it doesn't matter as long as you're doing it unto the Lord, that's what matters, right? All these things are are, are freeing. I don't have to wear a robe up here. Um, I do like wearing suits, though, actually. But um, I know that makes it weird. But um, what is important is that we agree on the central things, the gospel-centered things. Church government. There's many ways to govern a church, and everybody thinks they're right, don't they? And everybody else is wrong. We can still fellowship with somebody who has a different form of church government than us. But we cannot fellowship with somebody who does not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We cannot and will not fellowship with those kind of people, right? Because that affects everything concerning our salvation. He goes on to say, um, that they should be united. Notice what he says. He said, you should be united. And, and that word united is a surgical term. It's cartidzo. And it it means that um, it's, it's, the picture would be like a broken bone, that you, you set the broken bone, and then it fixes itself, and you can't even tell that there was a break to begin with, right? There, it's a broken bone. No local church can be effective If it does not heal from disunity, no local church can be effective if there's no harmony among the members of the church. Now, how can it be that a church can be united? And what he says is that everybody must have the mind of Christ. You know what it says? We have the mind of Christ. I want you to um, notice what Romans 15 says. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may be one voice, with one voice, glorify God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. When there is harmony, who's glorified? God, isn't that great? When there's harmony, God is glorified. The only way for you to stay unified is to steep your mind in Scripture. How do you do that? You read Scripture. You come Sundays and hear sermons on Scripture. You memorize Scripture. You meditate on Scripture. During the week, you listen to sermons and podcasts um, on Scripture. You listen to Scripture in your car. You, you read books about Scripture. And you will be steeped in Scripture. It will just come out. I love being around people where scripture and and the Lord just comes out in natural conversation. Don't you like being around those kind of people? Their mind is on scripture. And when the church is like that, there's unity. Ephesians 2.22. In him also you are being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When the Spirit, when there's Scripture in your heart, the Spirit can take that Scripture and build the church together and glorify Jesus Christ. That's what that's what uh, we do to avoid disunity. But it does happen, and so now he goes into the negative. And the first thing he says is that we are to avoid special loyalty to men. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers, what I mean is that each one of you say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Um, I, Paul, I, Apollos, I, Cephas, I, Christ. That's, that's what they're saying. The problem is that the church in Corinth, now listen, what I said was keep your mind on Christ, on the gospel and doctrine. The problem is that they got their mind off of Christ and, and when you take your mind off of Christ, your focus then becomes on personalities, doesn't it? Chloe was apparently a prominent woman in the church, and she reported soon after Paul left that people developed strong loyalties to certain people and factions, and, 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 and these factions were developing, and there's no way in, on earth that Paul or Apollos were trying to draw people to themselves. You you never find that in Scripture that Paul was doing that. Furthermore, Paul Paul was the one who asked Apollos or was in agreement that Apollos become the next pastor of the church. So there's no way that Apollos was drawing people to himself either. But what they were doing is they were looking back with special affection. Most likely, these people, the the Paul and Apollos and and, uh, Peter people, were looking back at the person who led them to the Lord. Or they're looking back with special affection to when they first came into the church. Paul was the pastor. When they first came into the church, Apollos was the pastor. And you know how it is when you first get saved, how you're growing and life is great. And it's like a a plant, a new plant. And in in Illinois, the cornfields, you can almost literally see the corn every day is a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And that's the way you were in your Christian life when you got saved. And so you look back with special affection uh, to that. Churches do the same thing, don't they? they look back at the glory days they 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 look back at what was happening apollos was a completely different person from paul think about this you you want to put it in today's terms paul was the public education guy he was from tarsus apollos was ivy league he was from alexandria right alexandria was the elite education center, it's the Yale and the Harvard and the Brown University and all those kind of things. That's Apollos. The Bible says that he was eloquent, wasn't he? He he powerfully refuted the Jews. Paul had just as keen a mind as Apollos, but Paul's keenness came out in his writing and not in his speech. We see that in Scripture Paul even says, people say, you know, his words on print are powerful, but his speech is not. He was not as good a speaker. And so there's some people who said, you know what, man, I just really got a thrill every Sunday when I got to hear Apollo speak, right? He he was so eloquent. And I just, I walked away and there was just something there. But when, when Paul was there, it was a little bit different. He's just kind of a bread and butter saying the same things over and over, you know, Repent, believe the gospel. Repent, believe the gospel type thing. But there's Apollos, and so that faction, and then you had the the Peter group. Now, apparently, Peter visited Corinth. Now, who's Peter going to appeal to? Peter is going to appeal to the rule followers, isn't he? The Jewish guy who, when he in Galatians, Paul said I had to what? I had to correct him because he was allowing the circumcision party to to cause him not to eat with the Gentiles. Peter, I okay, I, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyway. Peter would appeal to the fundamentalists, right? He would appeal to those people that, that really liked the rules because Peter was that kind of a person. So there was the Peter party, and then you had the group, and they were the really spiritual ones, and they said, I, no, nah, I don't follow those men. I follow Christ, Right? All you unspiritual people following uh, Paulus and Paul, who were these kind of people? We, we don't know who they were. I, I saw commentators, though, conjecture. If I can give you some conjecture. We don't know this, so don't say this, don't take this to the bank or anything. They would say something like the the people who said, I follow Christ, were like the, the more spiritual people, the people that would say stuff like, the Lord told me, Ooh, the Lord told me, I need to listen to this guy because the Lord told him. And and I I follow Christ and they're the ones that maybe have that special relationship with Christ you know that seem to be on a higher plane. It's kind of like the whole Keswick. If you're familiar with Keswick theology, let go and let God. You know, if I just surrender to God, if I just surrender to Christ in a special moment of surrender, I don't know if that's true or not. But that's what some of the commentators are saying that these different factions. And so we all know. The different people appeal to different people. Um, Mike and, and Ryder are two guys that get up here and preach. Mike and Ryder are going to appeal to different people than I do. Um, I could be delusional and say I appeal to everybody, but I know that's not true. But they appeal to different people than I do. Some people like their delivery better than mine, and um, and that's that's perfectly fine. But what we have to make sure that we do not do is get our eyes off of Jesus Christ and have a special affinity or affection for humans. Because when you do, it leads to divisions. They got their eyes off of Christ, had their eyes on people. What Paul said the solution was is to find their unity in Jesus Christ. Look at uh, verse number 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I love what he did here. He didn't mention Apollos to Peter because he didn't want it to get back to them that Paul might have been putting them down possibly. Rather, he used his own, his own self. If the cause of disunity is getting your eyes off of Christ, then the need is to get our eyes back on him. And so what Paul does is he flips it back around again to Jesus Christ. And a central argument is that believers are one in Christ and therefore should never do anything that disrupts or destroys that unity. No human leader, no matter how gifted or effective, should garner more loyalty in your heart than Christ. That kind of loyalty only belongs to Jesus Christ. So I have have a question for you, because I, I run into this often as a pastor. Is there a Christian teacher or another Christian maybe in your fellowship who you have a real special affinity for. That whatever they say is gospel. That whatever they say is, that's the definitive word. How much affection do you have for that person? This is what I mean. If somebody even acts like they're going to disagree with your favorite person, teacher, spiritual mentor or whatever, how upset do you get with that? Do you get more? I've seen people, um, this is going to be a little bit crass, I've seen people who get more upset if you question your favorite teacher than if you were to use the Lord's name in vain. And I know some of you have seen it as well, right? Matter of fact, My previous church, one of the biggest um, issues I had come up was with a a certain teacher. Uh, A group of people was following a certain teacher, and I had a lot of issues with that one teacher because she gathered people to herself and not to Jesus Christ. And it was obvious to anybody who could step back and see her teaching, but the people who loved her couldn't see it. Um, and she was drawing people. And so, if you said anything that questioned her, you you could have been tarred and feathered. People, our unity is found in Jesus Christ. Human teachers come and go. It's 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 um, it's like um, Count von Zinzendorf said. I don't know if you're familiar with Count von Zinzendorf. He said, "My goal." is to preach the gospel die and be forgotten because who gets the glory Jesus Christ Jesus Christ gets the glory so check your affections for your special teachers now I love Paul's logic here what he says he wanted no part of any faction after his name he had never been crucified for anyone nobody had ever been baptized in his name His authority had been delegated to him, and it was not his own authority, and his purpose was to bring men to Christ and not to himself. And Jesus, I'm going to say it a hundred times today, Jesus is the basis of our unity. Let's look at the last thing. Let's look at verses 14 to 17. His solution then is to, to division is to preach the gospel. Look at what he says. I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize a household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone. I love this. You know what he's doing? It's obvious that he's dictating this, isn't it? He's dictating to somebody, and either one or two things happened. He said, Well, I know I, I baptized Christmas and Gaius, and he uh, pauses for a minute. You know, well, I may have baptized somebody in Stephanus' household, but I, I don't really remember. Or whoever was with him had been in Corinth, and he said, well, I baptized uh, Stephanus and, or, um, and Gaius. And then the guy interrupted him and said, yeah, but didn't you also baptize? Oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? Don't know what's going on, but I love the fact that Paul couldn't remember, because that gives me great comfort in everything I can't remember. <laughs> and it should you as well. But he goes on to say, For Christ did not send me to baptize, to preach the, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the, listen why, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, robbed of its power. Apparently, baptism played a big role in their loyalties. Christus was the leader of the synagogue in Corinth when Paul first ministered there, was converted under the apostles' teaching. And I'm just going to say this, who baptizes you should not be important. It shouldn't be. It doesn't matter who baptizes you. Paul didn't baptize many of the Corinthians, and Paul said that he was glad. He said, "I was, thank the Lord I baptized none of you." That was so that none. And why? So that none of you would say that you were baptized in my name. Could you imagine the temptation to pride if you could say the Apostle Paul baptized me? Yep. Think about this um, in in. Judah and and uh, Galilee, when Jesus baptized, he didn't really baptize. Who baptized? His disciples. Could you imagine how much temptation of pride there would be if somebody could say, "You know what? I was one of a handful of people that Jesus Christ actually baptized." Wouldn't that be pr- Wouldn't that be a point of pride for most people? I'm going to be honest with you. It wouldn't me. Uh, I'm just flesh and blood. If, if I could say, Jesus Christ baptized me, there would be a temptation for pride like you could not believe. And, and I'm sure that that's uh, some of what's going on here. Paul didn't baptize anyone because he didn't want anybody to have uh, the uh, point of pride, temptation for pride. Paul communicates to Corinthians that the person who performed the baptism is utterly insignificant. By paying attention to the person who baptized them, listen... By paying attention to the person who baptized them, they were missing out on the true importance of baptism. And that is that it's a picture of our salvation. When you read verse 16, you get the sense that he was dictating. I talked about that. And the reason he didn't focus much, uh, too much on who he baptized is that his primary mission was the gospel of Jesus Christ. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I say this repeatedly and I'm going to say it again. It's the simple presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves people. It's not your personality. It's not my eloquent words. The power of the gospel comes in simply telling people about who God is. And what he expects and how you can escape the judgment that is to come. It's a very simple message. And we know from reading scripture that people mock that message. And we've heard people mock that message. Those who, who cannot discern spiritual things mock the message of Jesus Christ. And and so um, what Paul says is they need to make sure that the gospel is being preached in the right way. And what he said, what I mean is he said that um he didn't want to preach with words of eloquent wisdom. I didn't say that we don't use wisdom at all. He said eloquent wisdom. The use of the wisdom of the world what was going on in Paul's day is called sophistry. You ever heard of sophistry? It's the rhetoric was the um was the deal today and the rhetorical method was invented by the Greeks. Plato, I believe, is the one that uh, began, he wrote on rhetoric, if I remember correctly. I might be wrong on that, but one of the Greeks did. And uh, rhetoric was at its full flower during this time, during Paul's day. And so these eloquent, uh, let see if I get this word right, rhetoricians, rhetoricians, I think it is, were going around and, and it was a lucrative job to go around and use rhetoric and rhetorical devices and entertain people with their speech it was like going to the movies it was like going to a concert when when one of these people came in town and and by the way if you study plato's um on rhetoric the 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 apostles did use rhetoric in their writing you see rhetorical devices in in the new testament as well the problem is that the pastor needs to be sure That he doesn't preach with words of human wisdom. People need to be attracted. Um, I'm sorry, let me back up. You need to preach in such a way so that people will not be attracted by your wisdom, by your delivery, by your eloquence, and fail to see the cross of Christ. Have you ever gotten a product in which the packaging is much nicer than what's in the package? They spent all their money on the package and nothing on their product, right? Sometimes food's that way. You go to the grocery store and the package looks wonderful. These wonderful pictures, and you take it home, and it's like, I can't even believe I might as well eat the package it's so bad. And yet, the, there are congregations who are completely into the packaging. When the pastor packages the cross, the cross is hidden behind the packaging. So pastors present the cross in such a way to appeal to men and women's felt needs, don't they? That's packaging. Let me ask you a question. Would you like a happy and fulfilled and satisfied and have a great life? Anybody, Anybody here object to that? Nobody in their right mind is going to object to that kind of a, a, a offer. But when the cross is the answer to that question, then we abuse the cross and we are speaking with words of eloquent wisdom. Does that make sense? Jesus did not save you so that you could be happy and have a wonderful life. Jesus died on the cross for you, so that you could be saved from the judgment to come and have a wonderful life then. He promises suffering here. It's a total opposite message of the package messages that you get in a lot of churches. It's not the message of the cross. The message of the cross is that there is a man who had no sin, was hanged on a cross, scourged and hated, and in this lies the only answer for your eternal life. This is foolishness to the world. Something that happened 2,000 years ago can be relevant today. That's utter foolishness. The ancient world prized eloquence and wisdom that came from that rhetorical style. And Paul didn't want any part of it. And guess what? Things haven't changed today, have they? Have they changed at all? Uh, There's a a pastor in Green Bay. And... um, he has a multi-site church and he has a national platform and the focus of his platform is on his humor. And others want to follow the guy. Um, or or, I'm sorry, his, his, his platform dominates everything about the delivery in the church, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I'm not saying that we should stand up here and fumble around and, and bore people to death. But the package uh, is important how you present it is what Paul's saying. Others, Other people want to follow the guy that's the innovator or the guy that inspires. I just want to be inspired at church today. I just want to hear his creative communication. But the words of theologian pastor Tom Schreiner says this, when people exalt ministers and their speaking skills and abilities, the significance of the cross has been forgotten. The cross can be emptied of its power if it's not preached with utter simplicity. And that's what we try to do here at Providence, isn't it? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so how do we have unity here at Providence Bible Church? Very simple. We keep the gospel first and foremost. We agree on the core doctrines that the Bible teaches, the most important doctrines, We keep our eyes on Christ so that we do not put our eyes on man. And then when we leave here, we work together to evangelize a world that needs the message of the gospel. It's so simple, isn't it? And yet, for many of us, it's just so hard to actually perform. My prayer is that Providence will be that kind of a church. Lord, we thank you for the simple message of the gospel. I know many times, Lord, I have thought about the gospel message. And I have been tempted, Lord, to dress up the gospel message. To make it more relevant or to make it more exciting sounding for people who seem disinterested. But Lord, that simply just dishonors you. Because you tell us that the power is found in the message of Jesus saves. I pray that we will have confidence in the power of Jesus Christ. I pray that we will give the simple gospel message. But I also ask, Lord, as Jesus asks, that you will give us a unity, a oneness of spirit, just as the Father and the Son were one. That we will put things in their place. That we will understand core doctrines and have grace on people who disagree with us in, in um, matters that are not central to the gospel that we will, Lord, not focus on personalities or or focus on our desires, but rather focus on um, Jesus and him crucified. And may you grow the unity of the church so that as Jesus prayed, that the world may see that you called us unto him. In Christ's name, amen.